October 26, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin, and Dafkof Yod Bet Amud Aleph. If you count up from the, where the lines get wider, it's 16 lines up, where at the very beginning of the line it says, Ha-Harem Otah. So if you recall, in the context of Ir Hanidachat, the Mishnah was elaborating, telling us many of the laws with regards to a city where the majority of the inhabitants worship the Avodah Zarah. Now, one of the ramifications, the consequences of such a circumstance is, Ha-Harem Otah Bet Kol Pasuk in the Torah, that says, you're supposed to take all the matters of that city, anything that was there, and it's supposed to be destroyed. The animals are to be slaughtered, and the property is to be burnt. And the Mishnah elaborated even on that detail and explained, well, uh, irrespective of where the property of many, if not most of those people is, it's going to be destroyed. The Beraita will only elaborate further. Tanur Rabbanan, Beraita says, Ha-harem otah ve'et kol well, we're going to be focused initially on that second word, ha-harem ota. In fact, the pasuk says specifically, you should do to it. Now, the fact that the pasuk goes out, we know we're talking about ir hanidahat. If the pasuk then goes out of its way to use an extra word to mention ota, we understand that in the rabbinic interpretation of the Torah as a mi'ut. It's the Torah telling you specifically it, something specific to the ir, as opposed to something outside of it. How so? Perat We understand that you're supposed to really destroy all that's associated with it, but not really everything. For example, if it's a sadiq, now sadiq does not mean that it's a person who hasn't sinned at all. It's not a, a part, it's not a Noah in this circumstance. It's rather a person who didn't succumb to the avodah zarah. That individual, if he or she has property outside of the city, you leave that. You don't destroy that. Who's going to benefit from it? I thought that they're killing. Well, there's relatives. There's other people in their life. They can then benefit from that property. Anyone else can benefit from that property. You're not destroying it. That's what we're learning from the mi'ut of ota. Ve'et kol But the next words in the pasuk are not only ota, but kol So it's what you call a mi'ut followed by a ribui. The pasuk on the one hand minimizes by saying ota, specifically it. But then it says, and all that's in it. So I'm getting mixed messages in the eyes of the hachamim. All right, the Baraita goes in a bit of a different way, but, oh, I don't know, it goes in that direction. I'm sorry, you're just articulating it better than I would have. Uh, so Nathan explains, you would have thought, once I told you ota means the nechseh sadikim, the property of the righteous ones, the ones who didn't succumb to the avodah zarah, he says, well, your mind would have then said it's any property of theirs. How do I qualify that it's specifically when it's outside of the physical city, that's a ve'et kol asherba lerabot nechseh sadikim shebetocha. That in turn is the ribui which says, well, if they're sadikim, even though they're sadikim, if they found their way in this city, to this city, and they're part of the city, their belongings together with their life is going that which is in the city. Uh, then the pasuk said, shelala. And we talked about a little bit about this word yesterday and the day before. Shilala means it's property. But again, it doesn't say the shalal. It says shilala with that mapike at the end, which means its property. Uh, what's the understanding of its property? What is the city's property as opposed to what? Velo shalal shamaim. That comes to exclude, it's a mi'ut again, to say specifically the property that's belonged to inhabitants of this city. 
not property that's belonged uh, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which we talked about in the Mishnah, we'll return to talk to again, and you have to think about in that context, Hekdesh, Korbanot type of business, Terumama, and that sort of business. Now the Pasuk continues, it says, Ve'et kol shilala. It doesn't just say shilala, it says kol shilala. And again, that's a trigger word. Anytime the Torah needs to mention the word all of, it's coming to tell you, you would have imagined just this and not this. How so? It comes to include, it's a ribui, that if it's the reshaim, if it's a person who did worship the Abu Dazara, but their property is somewhere else, that too gets destroyed. In other words, what the Beraita breaks down for us are the laws that we kind of already understood from the Mishnah, but we're finding sourcing for it. How does it uh, end for us? If it's a Rasha, meaning a person who worshipped Avodah as part of Ir Hanidahat, their property, it sounds like under all circumstances, we'll qualify that in a moment, is destroyed, even if it's outside of the city. The Sadiq, the one who didn't worship, well, if it's property that's in the city, it gets destroyed. We have a ribui for that. If it's outside of the city, it gets Spared. Uh, says the Gemara or Rabbi Shimon at the end of this Beraita, let's just focus for a moment on uh, this Sadiq, uh, Hazit. Uh, he and his family are going to perish together with the city, but even their property? Uh, if it's in the city, says Rabbi Shimon, why is it that the Torah is instructing us that even the Sadiq, the one who didn't worship Avodah his property as well is destroyed if it's inside of the city? Answers Rabbi Shimon, Mi garam lahem sheyaduru betocha? Question mark. Mamonam? The suggestion of Rabbi Shimon is the only reason that any person who doesn't intend on worshipping Avodah Zarah finds he, him or herself in this city in which they're all worshipping Avodah Zarah, the majority of the people are worshipping Avodah Zarah, they didn't run for another city, they didn't run for the hills, is because they have business uh, uh, circumstances there. It's because they see wealth. The only reason a person who's right in mind in this individual does appear to be right in mind, would find their self over there is because their mamon is going to multiply over there. They put their spiritual wherewithal on the line for mamon, for wealth, for well-being. It's for that reason that the Torah is therefore hinting to us, listen, if they have property outside, you can leave that. The property that's inside, that's all tainted with the, the sins of the people which brought this person to that city. Rashi points out this is Rabbi Shimon perhaps being consistent. Rabbi Shimon generally, we know this from the first Perek, we know it from many places in Talmud, he's Doresh Ta'amadikra, which means say Rabbi Shimon's methodology with regards to interpreting Torah oftentimes, if not always, is he looks at the reason that the Torah is instructing and he derives based on that other laws. Uh, Rashi is a little bit difficult in suggesting so because everybody agrees we interpret the Torah for its reasoning. The, the opinion of Rabbi Shimon specifically is that we learn halachot based on that, which means to say if the Torah has a, uh, the classic example is if there's a collateral which was given in a circumstance and it's a almana, it's a woman who's a, a widow. The Torah says, you're not allowed to hold on to that uh, collateral overnight, her clothing, because she doesn't have something else to sleep in. She doesn't have something else to wear. She's probably impoverished. What if, for example, she's rich? What if we know she's wealthy, but she's an almana? Uh, that would be, um, that is a mahlok between Bishimon and Hachamim. Says Bishimon, what's the reason of the Pasuk? The Pasuk is telling you, 
because she's impoverished, by taking it from her, you're going to be messing with her life. Say the hachamim, I don't know about that. The Torah says, don't do this. We're not doresh to amadikrai in this type of circumstance. This is just a general methodological type of question. Should we therefore, according to the hachamim, close our eyes to interpreting the Torah? Do we just accept what the Torah says without looking into its reason and rationale? After all, it's only Rabbi Shimon's opinion. Rabbi Shimon derives laws based on it. Hachamim also agree, as we have over here, even though it's generally speaking the mindset of Rabbi Shimon, let's look into the reason. Hachamim also want us all looking into reasoning. It's just that we don't derive laws based on our interpretation of the reasoning of the Torah. Anyway, that's what you have over here in the Gemara with regards to this Beraita. Now we return to the Beraita. Anytime the Gemara mentions these words, Amar Mor, it means we're returning to a statement which was just mentioned earlier. The way it seemed to have been set up was a person, a student in the Midrash would get up, he'd recite a Beraita. People memorized them. He didn't have Torah Shbikhtav all that much at that point in Baalpe. And so someone would recite the words of a Beraita. And then the students or the teacher would go back to the words that were just recited and say, you remember when he said that? Well, let's talk about that. Remember those words? Let's uh, elaborate on those words. So Amar Mor, Mor really means the master, the master of ceremonies for all intents and purposes. He just spoke. Well, let's return to those words. What did he say? Amar Mor, the, the person who recited that Beraita we just mentioned, remember those words? The fact that the Pasuk says, kol, it's coming to be marbe, it's inclusive. It's telling you not only the nechasim of the reshaim, which are in the city, but even that which is outside. Amar of Hasta, Rav Hasta qualifies that statement. He says, ubanikbatsim letocha. Says Rav Hasta, it says it's specifically property which is nikbat. We know that word. Uh, we know that word from uh, the Amidah, to be mekabetz nithei Israel. Sanes lekabetz galiotenu. Lekabetz means to gather. It means that which is gathered into it. What does it mean, that which is gathered into it? Rashi suggests either two or two interpretations, like a couple does one, or two separate interpretations, depending on how you read it. Rashi says, on the one hand, this is a reference to property which is only within a one-day distance of this city. If it's further than a one-day distance, it's out of sight and out of mind, and as a result, we don't destroy that property of this individual. If it's continents over, which once upon a time was more than a one-day's journey, that's out. That would not be. Absolutely. Right now we're talking about metaltelin, the property which is moved. If there's property in, uh, you're, you're absolutely destroying it. We discussed earlier whether you're turning it allowed to be Akiva's opinion, allowed to turn it into ginot and pardesim afterwards or not. And so that's the first interpretation of Rashi. Uh, the other interpretation of Rashi is it needs to be property which was once in this city. If it was never in this city, that'll go to your point, Charlie, to a certain extent. If it's property outside, that's, uh, that's ground, that's, that's a house, that's, uh, that's a field, so that wouldn't be included. In other words, Rashi furthermore says nikbatim letocha means things that were once in the city. Uh, just envision it wrongfully but envision it as they were tainted in a physical sense. They actually entered in and then they exited. So Rashi has either two interpretations which get coupled as one or Maharsha reads it as two separate interpretations. What these words nikbatsim letocha refer to? Do they refer to items which are one day's distance so we could say it as kind of part of the city or alternatively it was in the city once and then it got taken out. They lived here and then they shipped their goods out. It's already tainted with the problems of that city. That would be destroyed. Amar of Hasta, Pik 
פיקדונות של אנשי עיר הנידחת מותרים. הפיקדון, if you learned מסכת בבא מציאה, you know this word very, very well, להפקיד, there's a whole פרק called פרק המפקיד, means to deposit something. Uh, to another. Uh, so I give you something to watch over, that's called a picadon. Uh, so w- we don't yet know what picadonot is referring to over here. It doesn't mean that I, as a member of Irhani Dachat, gave it to you. You, as a non-member, gave it to me. But in some way or another, there's property of another in a person's hands, and it has something to do with the Irhani Dachat. Again, uh, we're going to describe it in a second. The other statement is, פקדונות of אנשי עיר הנידחת, deposits, we can vision this in one of, one of many ways. Either it's, I'm from עיר הנידחת, and I gave this to you, Stanley, you'd never find your way into עיר הנידחת, and you're holding on to it, so I deposited it to you. Alternatively, I'm in עיר הנידחת, and you gave this to me. Which one is it? Either way you slice it, we don't know yet the halakha with regards to which case we're talking about, but the halakha that Rav Chasta mentions is mutarim. So again, Amar Rav Chasta piktonot, if there's a deposit of we're not sure in which direction. Mutarin, they're permitted. In other words, they don't get destroyed as part of the shalal and the harem of Ir Hanidahat. Ask the Gemara, head out. Does it make sense that if you let it out, it's yours? Right, so Nathan says he's clear as the Gemara will be, as usual, uh, as usual, you, you know, makdim the Gemara. It is clear, I said that positively, it's clear you have the mind already. It's clear that um, if I deposited as a member of Yerah Hanidahat to another, he says, that's still tethered to me. There's no question over, over there. Of course, it will have to be within a one day's distance of the city, as we just said. That was Rav Hasta's own words, uh, but he's clear. So he says, instead, perhaps the reference is that Stanley, to me, I'm the resider in Irhani Dahat, I'm the wrongdoer over here, you deposited it to me, and in such a circumstance, it's permitted, that'll be interesting, it's permitted even though it's in Irhani Dahat, under what circumstances? Yeah, no, 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 one's from outside of the city, and I'm from in the city, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then, then it should be destroyed, similar to the Bishimon logic from before him. Says the Gemara, but keep in mind, it's mutar. Says going, hechidame. What's the case? Hedalet hechidame. What's the particulars over here? What are the details? Ilema. Perhaps the case is diir hanidahat viitnehu begava peshita demutarin lav shelalahu. Says suggests the Gemara. Maybe it's that they were deposited to a person in ir hanidahat. Um, so it means Stanley gave it to me and I'm in the Irhani Dachat. This is that you don't destroy it. That's simple. This doesn't belong to the inhabitants of Irhani Dachat. The Torah says you're supposed to destroy Shelala, its property. This is not its property. This is an outsider's property. Ela didhu Maybe it's didhu means theirs, meaning members of Irhani Dachat. That was my cup, which I gave to Stanley. And that's the case, and that's the Gemara. Ide nikbatzin letocha, my mutarim vien nikbatzin letocha. Ha amarta hadazimna, ha amarta hadazimna. So the Gemara, I don't understand how that would work. Uh, again, one, one more time, just to articulate the whole thing. The question is with regards, or the statement is with regards to deposits involving a member or members of Irhani Dahat, which a deposit means it's one person's property, but another person is safeguarding it. 
for one reason or another, you're a Shomer of sorts. Uh, now, the question is, what is Rav Hasda talking about? Rav Hasda's statement is, explicitly, if it's a deposit related to Irani Dahat, it's Mutar Bahana'ah, you're allowed to get benefit from it, doesn't get destroyed. Which circumstance? If it's a circumstance in which someone else deposited it to Irani Dahat, I'm the bank for others outside. And so you brought your property, you brought your money and deposited it with me. You should lose it because I'm in Irhani Dahat. It's not mine. I'm just safeguarding it. Can't be that's what he's referring to. Clearly that's mutar. You don't need Rav Hastat to teach that to you. Maybe it's I'm not the bank, you're the bank, but I'm from Irhani Dahat. So I hand it over to you. We know the halakha in that circumstance as well. Rav Hasta already articulated very clearly if it's within a one day's distance, slash, it was already in the city, problematic, it gets destroyed. If not, not. You already told us that. What's the hidush over here? What is the case? The circumstance is I am the bank. In Irhani Dahat, I'm holding on to Stanley's item. If I'm holding on to Stanley's item, we said a moment ago, of course it doesn't get destroyed. It's not mine. It's not. And perhaps the case would be talking about Rav Hasta, I accepted responsibility of if something goes wrong with regards to this property. I'm not just watching over this. Now, if you get into the world of Shomrim and Piktonot and, and, and all sorts of matters, you'll understand there are circumstances which are with responsibility. I might even be getting paid for it. And there are circumstances without responsibility. You and I both know these types of circumstances. I hand you a, a, a package. I say, could you deliver? You're, you're traveling to Jersey today? Could you? You come back from Jersey, Eli, could you bring back something for me? Now, you're accepting that upon yourself with responsibility. I mean, you might be, because you're a Sadiq, you might say, if something goes wrong, I'll pay him. Uh, you're not responsible for it in that, so it's understood. You're doing it as a no ahrayut circumstance, but sometimes you'll have a circumstance where it's clearly articulated. I'm paying you in some way or fashion. There's a responsibility upon you that if something goes wrong, depending on how it goes wrong, what it goes wrong, depending on, on the agreement, well, that's what's called ahrayut. Now, here's the circumstance. Stanley deposits to me. I'm in Irani Dahat. I'm not just holding on to it. I have Ahrayut. I have responsibility that if something goes wrong, I have to pay him. Doesn't that give me a partial ownership over it? Aren't I now somewhat connected to it? Says Rav Hasta. Aha, you see, that's what you would have thought. Now it becomes a part of mine. But it's not really mine. I just have the responsibility. So I have a certain ownership. The Hidush of Rav Hasta is Mahudetema. What would you maybe have thought? Kevan de Kabila Ale Ahrayut Kedide Dame. Since I accepted that responsibility of if damage, if something goes wrong with regards to the property that was given to me, it's kididid, I mean, it's like mine. It's not so. Now that's interesting. We won't get too much into it. But in other contexts, for example, on Hametz on Pesach, there are circumstances where if a person gives their hametz to another and there's ahrayut, imagine you give it to a non-Jew, well, what's the status in that circumstance? What if the non-Jew gave it to me and there's ahrayut, what's the status in that circumstance? And it doesn't match so equally these laws because the statement over here seems to be ownership is not defined by responsibility. Responsibility gives you something. It's not ownership to the extent that it's going to be destroyed. The Gemara on the first Perek of Masechet Pesachim is in a different direction. It seems to grant more ownership 
in circumstances of ahrayut than this one does, you'll have to, ultimately speaking, distinguish in some way, shape, or form between Eid Hanidahat and Hametz on Pesach. You'll have to get into a logical interpretation as to why they're different, because what's reflected in the words of Halakha is that they are. Go ahead, Jeff. Again, we're going to deal with that either in the, yeah, the next line, literally. You're, you're, you're playing the Nathan here. Yeah, what's that? What about collateral? It's going to be a picadon as well. It's going to be a picadon. But when the guy pays me back, it's going back to him. So I have a certain responsibility because if I destroy it, so then, okay, he gets to keep pissed up. It's no different. That's exactly this. It's not actually yours. I'm in the Irani Dach. Oh, so that's mine. It's, so we bring an Alma Rasha, naturally. It's getting destroyed. So am I. I mean, you know, you're not getting paid at this point either. I'm, I'm dead. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what Nathan was saying. Nathan said, maybe that's why we in the first place entertained this sort of question. The Gemara made it even better. Not only should you not have been involved with me, huh? you should have known better what type of city am I from, what type of... Furthermore, you accept a responsibility, and or I accept the responsibility, you gave me a certain, granted something on your property. Nonetheless, the Gemara statement is, you know, there's a certain lenient Yes, sir. So just to define the inhabitant, if, what if you have a business, but you live outside the city? You have a business in the city, but you actually live outside the city. So it's your property as a person who doesn't dwell in the city. So, so that's not shalal ha'id. You're from Irahayret. So it goes based on where you live in. That was clear, because so the Torah you says, your shevei ha'id. Yes. Yosheve, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it from the, the halakha and from and the words in the pasuk. Yosheve ha'ir ha'i. It's the dwellers of that city. And I'll, I'll even give you a logic to it. The logic to it is that as much as everyone is connected to their businesses, not to the extent of where you put your head on your pillow. Where you live defines who you are. Where you do business, okay, that's part of your personality. That's a ahrayut type of part of your responsibility. But it doesn't define you to that extent. Okay. And if he's within his own business, does it matter? No, it's, it's, it's you live, it's where you live. No, it won't matter. And if you live in the city and your business is a day outside of the city, that's the difference, right? In other words, but you're living in the city. Right. Says the Gemara. What's the logistics of what goes on? I mean, they're going to go in and then they're going to interrogate each person? Or yes. So yesterday or the day before, we dealt with that in the Gemara. Not, not a simple answer, right? The Gemara was, had three different approaches to how how we determine. Leave you're, you're on the on the financial, which is important as well. Keep in mind when it's a life and death sentence, that takes a lot of time with a lot of investigation. We dealt with the hakirot and the bedikot for dinay nefashot. It's much more intense than dinay mamonot. You're dealing with, uh, I mean, you're putting tons of forces with regards to law enforcement and all that sort of business into this. Uh, yeah, I, I can tell you this was this would take up. You know, this would drain any, the United States of America. You know, like this was, unless you're dealing with small cities, smaller cities, although we'll revert back to the point that you reminded us more than what Irani Dahat the Gemara says didn't actually happen, so it doesn't mean that it, but yeah, it, I, I, I will just, 
I'll, I'll finish that point by stating we said what's darosh ve sachar. What's the idea of irani dachar? If it's not going to happen, if it didn't happen, to teach you values. Can you imagine if that's the statement of the Torah? The Torah is saying your values as a law enforcing society is to make certain that you root out evil from your midst to the extent that if you have to have a recess for several days and weeks to handle this matter, that's what you need to do with regards to investigation of the people and the property. So it is. Says the Gemara, Amar of Hasta, what's the halakha with regards to, well, Charlie led us into this, he says, Asura, how do you have an animal which is split half to the Iranidahat, half to another? I'm partners with Stanley. Stanley lives outside of the Iranidahat. I live in the Iranidahat on this animal. What's the status of this animal? His statement is Asura. He says, that animal is forbidden in Hana'a. Isa, alternatively, what about doe? So that you're going to make bread. I don't know, we're partners in a bakery. I live in Irani Dachat, he lives outside of Irani Dachat. Dachat, a dough is different than animals. Why would a dough be different than animals? Maita'ama, what's the reasoning, says Rav Hasta, to us? Behema, keman de la paligadamya. Isa keman de paligadamya. The word peleg we know already means to split. Like peleg hamin ha pelukta is a mahloket to split. This is the difference. Is an animal cannot and will not be seen as something that's severed. I'll discuss that in a second. You can't split it. The easy, indeed, easier is to talk about the dough first. Dough, I look at it, I say, I own half of it, you own half of it. All it is is we split it, and you take half and I take half. We look at it as something which can and will be separated. That's easy, and as a result, what's that? Dough. Animals? So the suggestion on the animal goes as follows. If it's dead, you're right. If it's alive, the only way, in your words, to make it fungible, I'm not in the business uh, of lingo, but what? is to slaughter it, right? It's mehusar ma'aseh of shehita. You need an action to slaughter it. The slaughtering cannot and will not be a kosher slaughtering, says Rashi. Why not? You had a kosher slaughtering. You can sell it and then split that money, but that's removed. That's not the animal any longer. The, the money would be forbidden. You wouldn't be able to get there. The, the, you have to imagine this animal for its primary. It's going to be slaughtered. Says Rashi, when it's slaughtered, me being from Irani Dachat, he being from outside of Irani Dachat, half of that slaughtering is a kosher slaughtering, which is going to bring about Hana'ah. Uh, it's going to bring about the permissibility to eat. Half of it is uh, butchering it. No, no, but I kosher slaughter. But the Torah says you're killing the animals, which defines for us any slaughter that you do for irhanidahat individuals leads you to hedev, leads you to nothingness. You can't benefit from it. Therefore, although we're slaughtering it, and in the mind of the shohet who made his birkata shehita with all the right intention and the mindset and so forth, in his mind he's slaughtering and he's doing something. He's not. Because for me, that cannot and will not ever render it mutar bahana'a. Therefore, you can't imagine this as afterwards we'll split it in any way. It's forbidden. You can't get to a state of anything permitted. The selling would be the same thing. The only way you'd be able to pull this off is on an item that could be separated, and as a result, you say all the quote-unquote evil stuff is on this side, and all the goodness is on the other side. 
you'd be able to split it. Well, oh, oh, a mother and a kid's animals? And animals yeah. yeah, yeah, so you'd be able to split it. Then you'd be all right. In other words, we own this flock, so we'll separate the flock. Then it's, then it's like dumb. What, you want to be like a little hakan? No, no, you know, sa'aba ali hayim of some sort. I don't, I don't know that we'd go that Correct. But it's not. But, but, but you can't split it. How are you splitting it? The, have the value, but half of it physically so is not, is the suggestion. What's that? Yeah, you destroy it. You slaughter the animal and, and burn it. Like the Torah says. Stanley Hazid. Uh, but again, he should have done better when you get involved with me. You know, that's a, uh, yeah. No, that's, you can, you can, that person cannot even be a shy. He can be in a city and just by default, just... Correct, correct, even worse. Okay, but I'm going to go back to the Bishimon. If I'm a Sadiq, what am I doing in that city? I'm in that city for money, you should know better. You know, that's what I think the Torah, at least in the Bishimon's eyes, he's saying to you, you have to have a mindset, you have to have on your radar, who am I being involved with, what place am I involved with, and so forth, for what reasons. Says the Gemara, all right, I have the understanding now, let's just one last detail on the slaughtering. What about that slaughtering? You said the slaughtering can't render it permitted to eat, you said the slaughtering cannot render the animal permitted for benefit. What about the following? Here's the difference between two different types of killing of an animal. If an animal slaughtered, not only in the regular sense is it permitted to eat, but it's furthermore not tameh. It doesn't impart any ritual tum'ah uh, 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 or contamination. If an animal is hunted, an animal is killed, an animal dies, it has what's called tum'at nevela. Not only is it prohibited to be eaten, it also has a certain ritual contamination to it. Now, here's the animal from Ir Hanidahat. This animal from Ir Hanidahat was slaughtered kosher. It's a kosher slaughtering. You can't eat it, we know that. Is it also not, is it also metameh? It was slaughtered, look at it, it was slaughtered properly, we checked it, everything, but you're not allowed to benefit from it. Is that considered shechita? Or is that considered harigah? Do you understand the question? On the one hand, it's not going to make it mutar ba'achila. Does it, on the other hand, however, since the, the action was done, oh, it's one of these Gemara-style questions. If I went, you and I say, what's the difference? Once upon a time, Jeffrey was very nervous about the difference with Kohen. You and I also, you know, because we needed to be, you needed to be careful about your tuman tahara. If I touched it, how do I deal with it? Should I touch it? May I touch it and all that? But, and further, furthermore, this theoretical. The fact that the animal is prohibited to be eaten because it needs to be destroyed, but I handled it according to the laws of Torah, does that therefore t- take it a little bit away from what the Torah told me? It's completely off-bounds. It's still off-bounds, but it's not metameh. Or alternatively, the Torah said it's off-bounds. I don't care what you did to it. That was insignificant. That's the question. His question is, if you did a shechita to behemati ir hanidachat, forget about partnership, straight up, behemati ir hanidachat, had a kosher shechita, does that work, titane, does that work, does that facilitate a circumstance of tahara, of, 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 uh, of purity from Nevela. As says the Gemara, here's the two sides. On the one hand, the Torah says, Lefiharev amarachmana. Those are quote unquote. The Torah says, Lefiharev. It needs to be 
No, you're clearly not allowed to eat it. Are you allowed to handle it? Are you allowed to touch it? Does it impart tumah or not? There's something called tumat nevela. Does this get considered, uh, is this considered nevela? You say, on the one hand, I slaughtered it. It's not nevela. On the other hand, the Torah says, lefiharev. The Torah never said slaughtering, but I slaughtered it. He said, that wasn't slaughtering. That was following the mandate of the Torah, which was killing it. But I slaughtered it. But that was killing it. On the one hand, lefiharev amarachmana, lashena shahata. Mishhat lashena ketala miktal shahata means shechita. We know what that means. Slaughtering it kosher uh, ritually. Miktal um, means to murder. Uh, so it means you just killed it. It doesn't matter whether you just killed it if, uh, in any way, shape, or form, or you slaughter it. Torah says lefiharev or dilma, or perhaps on the flip side, dilemma milashon dilemma kevan de shahata. Since you slaughtered it. Mehanya la shechita, the slaughtering at the very least, does make it that it's no longer my, what's the halacha? We're excited for the punchline. Teku. Teku means the matter should stand. All right, that's it. The Gemara doesn't even bring us further on this question. Well, not necessarily. It might have to do with the Sanhedrin, who are now handling the matter. And they walk into the city and they start killing, but they're slaughtering, and then they want to move them outside somewhere. Do they get too much? Something along those lines. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, because for that reason, when Eli, even though Eli was bringing me in another direction, when I understood him at his base level, before I was on his higher level thinking, he asked if you have a flock of animals, and we're partners in it, so over there, that's like Isa, yes, it's single animal. You can't, I mean, for example, if there's parts of the animal that have more value, there's only one pump, and you split that. But I got again, but you're not going to be able to get to stage one because you can't see it as divisible in the first place. If it's the flock, and we could divide, if it's the animal which was already slaughtered, and you have the tongue, and you have the this, and what up, so then you could divide. Rabbi, you split it by selling it and splitting the money, if that's the only way to split it. But I don't know that you could pull that off. So on the Isa, it doesn't stand. You're angry at us being mekil for people. I hear you. I hear you. The logic doesn't fully pan out in that circumstance. I don't know. Uh, it, unless you argue something. Okay, I got a philosophical answer for you. The philosophical answer goes like this. What type of business are you involved with that guy? You're involved in business where you could quickly get out of it by distancing yourself, like Isa, or alternatively, are you so entrenched? All right, on the spot, I can't remember. Are you so entrenched to the extent that you can't pull out of this? You're so tethered one to the other. It seems clear to me. I don't see why not. Because the whole issue is the shahita of the siman. So now that I split it. All right, all right, take on that matter. I'm not certain. It seems clear to me that way because, again, the issue as it was articulated was because of the shahitat hasimanim. You're saying that all the simanim are all mixed. Yeah. They're saying something about the animal that makes it one entity, they are therefore suggesting, makes it one entity on each one of them that I can't find. 
All right. And let's just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, hear, I hear you saw it. I, I, can't, I can't refute it easily. I will tell you the Gemara has one last question. I'd like to quickly go through it to make it to the bottom of the Amud. Ba'e Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef has the, the following question. Se'ar nashim sadkaniyot mahu. What's the halakha with regards to the hair of the uh, women who didn't worship the Abu Dazara in that city? Uh, what do you mean their hair? Amarava hadereshayot asur. Are you suggesting immediately that your question is only with regards to the women who didn't worship, but the women who did worship, you have a specific that their hair would be asur bahana'a. Now keep in mind, we don't think per se about hair, asur bahana'a, mutar bahana'a. The Gemara will quickly get us into conversation of wigs where you do think about such a thing. You're cutting the hair, you're shearing the hair in order to make a wig from it. What's the halakha? Are you telling me that the ones who worship their hair is forbidden? On the one hand, uh, uh, the pasuk says, tikbot v'saravta ketiv. The pasuk says, gather the stuff and then burn it. Well, gather the stuff means it's there to be gathered. Hair is not so easily there. When it comes to the hair, you'll have to cut it and then gather it and then bring it. That sort of thing the Torah was never telling you needs to be burnt. The only matters that are burnt are the items you pick up, you bring to the middle, and you burn them. If it has any other action that's necessary, you don't do it. It's along the lines of if it's more than a day's distance. You don't travel a day's distance. If it's there to be gathered, you put it in the, mi- in the middle of that street and you burn it. Over here, the hair, even of the wicked women, meaning the women who worship Tavadazara, even that should be mutar bahana'a, because it's mehusar telisha, you need to cut it off. Ela marava says, Rava, you didn't understand me properly. This was my question. Bepe'anokrit, when you're dealing with a wig. Well, it's funny that the Gemara calls wigs pe'an. I could say this, my wife wears a wig, but Hacham Vadya Yosef, I remember being present. He said, did you ever wonder why the Gemara refers to wigs as pe'an? Nochrit, nochrit, generally speaking, is nechar, is of the non-Jews. He says, it's teaching you a lesson. That's what the non-Jews do. Again, I could say it, because my wife said, if I was putting down others, that's Hacham Vadya Yosef, could do it. Anyway, so pe'an nochrit, says the Gemara, we're talking pe'an nochrit, hechidamit, says the Gemara, we're not, we're talking about it, it was already cut off. You're not cutting off her hair and that, her head and then putting it in the middle, it's already cut off. What's the halakha? If it's on her head, that's like her body. And as a result, if it's on her head, you're clearly not burning, you're, you're clearly not having to separate that from her body. It's part of the body. Teku says the Gemara, here's this two sides of the Safik. On the one hand, it's hanging on the peg on her wall. That's the circumstance. That's the question that Rav Yosef had. If you find, you enter into the city, you enter into our t- interrogation system, and you f- find in the house, she's got on these walls of her, her house pegs with wigs. What's the halakha? On the one hand, she takes it and she puts it onto her head, and now it's part of her body. On the other hand, right now, it's not on her body. Is that like her body and it's destroyed, or is it separate from her body? And it's what's that? Hair on the head seems to be more connected, more into it. Says the Gemara Teku, Rabbi Yosef was uncertain what the answer was.